We're going to be looking at Psalm 42 and 43 uh, together. We're starting a, a new little series in the summer, this month and next month, <clears throat> looking at uh, Psalms of the Sons of Korah. So if you look at Psalm 42 there at the <clears throat> before verse 1, it says to the choir master, Amaskal, the sons of Korah. I'll probably do some background on Korah in a different message. Uh, but the sons of Korah were known as good singers, leaders in probably choral and orchestral music during Thanksgiving services and pageantries when the ark would be brought to Jerusalem. <clears throat> they were key leaders in that. And so we're going to be looking not at all of the psalms that are there from them, but most of them, and like I said, today we'll look at Psalm 42 and 43 together. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in front of you. You can use that one and look at that one. The reason we're doing Psalm 42 and 43 together is that most people, most scholars today, put them together. And you're going to see why. There's just such similar language in the two of them. And you'll notice this. But as I read Psalm 42 and 43, just a couple of things that I, I want you to, to focus on. First, there's a lot of back and forth here between lament and hope. So you see great sadness, but then you see great, great hope. And it's always cemented on God and his steadfast love. I want you to notice that. Then also, and I think this is helpful whenever you read the Psalms. I know Christopher Ash is big on this. He's a writer, theologian. But as you read the Psalms, I want you to contemplate and to remember that Jesus himself would read these, he would teach these, he would sing these psalms, he would memorize these psalms. And as you think about the fact that Jesus would be doing these, try to ponder what he must have thought about as he read these psalms. Because we believe that all of Scripture points to Christ. It all points to Jesus, and the psalms point to Christ as well. And it's interesting as we read these psalms to think that Jesus would be singing these as they're pointing to him. And so Psalm 42 and 43, let's read that together, if you would. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves had gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. 
from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. There's five things I want to focus on that the psalmist here continually longs for. And then with all of this longing, we see only one solution every time. So the five things, his soul longs for God, his soul longs to worship God in the temple, his soul longs to be with God's people in worship, his soul longs for peace from the troubles of this world, and his soul longs for peace from the ungodly. And the answer to all these we'll see at the end is that his soul is satisfied. These longings are satisfied day in and day out from the steadfast love of the Lord. And we have the same steadfast love as believers. So first of all, his soul longs for God. We see this in uh, Psalm 42 there, verse 1 and 2. Pretty, pretty famous passage. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. I don't know if you would agree with me, but being thirsty is actually much worse than being hungry. Some of you might doubt that right now. You're starving and you would do anything to eat. But whether you believe this or not, this is true. You actually can push hunger pains aside. Did you know that? You can work through hunger. You can get through when you're hungry. But thirst seems to be something different. We need water. We need to quench that thirst. And so the psalmist sets up here the fact that he is is thirsty. And the way he compares it is he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams. This is something I've actually seen in the woods. I've seen a deer with its tongue sticking out. It's been run all over the place. It's so tired, but it's so thirsty. You can see this just from its demeanor. And the deer would just love to have a drink. And this is the picture that the psalmist here is setting up for us. He's saying his thirst isn't for water necessarily, but he he longs for God. And he's essentially dying of thirst for God. But not just any God, notice. It's not some God that he has made up in his mind. It's not some God that he's conjured up or a God that he's picked and pulled certain things from that he likes. No, he says his soul longs for the living God. So there's a desire for the true and the living God, really the only God who can quench the thirst of the soul. And what we see here with this author, right off the bat, is we see a real love here for God. There really is a love here for God from this writer. As we reflect on this, I'm reminded of John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. You remember I said to think about, as Jesus would memorize these, as Jesus would write these psalms, or read these psalms and, and share these psalms, I think about this because in John chapter 7, verse 37 through 38, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
No doubt Jesus had read the 42nd Psalm. He knew the 42nd Psalm. And as he stands up in this crowd and he says, come to me if you thirst. The Psalm would have to be on his, on his mind. We have to ask, I guess, as we come across this Psalm, can we understand what the psalmist is saying here at all? Now, when was the last time you thirsted for God or understood that you were thirsting for God? Maybe you sit here today and you are longing for something. You're not too sure what it is. You've tried to fill it with all sorts of things. But what you're really longing for is God. Your soul is so thirsty for him. This is what the psalmist is pointing out. He says, my soul longs for God. But this wasn't the only thing we see in these psalms that his that he longs for. We also see he longs to worship God in the temple. We, we know this because he's away from the temple. He says this. Uh, he says, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. This is away from Jerusalem. This is away from the temple. This is where the writer is writing this. Maybe David or, or maybe it's one of the sons of Korah who, who wrote this. Probably David, though. But the Old Testament writers, and we got to be careful here. The Old Testament writers did not think that God was only able to hear them or to be worshipped at the temple. They could worship in other places, but there was something special about the temple. The temple was a special place because God had called it a special place. God had, had given them tasks to do with, within the temple. And so here the author brings this out with his desire to be in the temple again. He, he wants to be where God is. He's far from home. It seems as if he's exiled in some way from Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know for sure. Maybe he's off in battle or in war. Who knows? Or maybe fleeing. Could be doing that as well from somebody. But we know that God had instructed his people that they needed to go to the temple. And at the temple was where they would worship him. At the temple is where they would offer their sacrifices. And the writer here is just longing for that experience. Wants to again be in the temple. I'm being honest, I just don't hear this kind of talk too much anymore from people about church. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little more about it, maybe of why. But I do hear this from people concerning home. How they long to be home, right? Now, many of us in this room have come from descendants who are from the South. Maybe from Tennessee or from Kentucky or maybe from some other place. And I still, to this day... We'll hear, hear people tell me who've lived in Michigan their whole life how they long to be home. And they don't mean Michigan. They mean Tennessee or Kentucky. And I think your home is Michigan. You've always lived here. You were born here. But no, they say they long to be home. And what do they mean? They long to go back to where their descendants are from. Maybe they vacationed there. Maybe they would go back and see relatives and see grandma and grandpa who still live in Tennessee or Kentucky. And they remember the fond times that they had there whatever that might be. So they long for that. It was just a, a joyous time. And, and so for them, it, it resembles peace maybe even. And so they want to go home or maybe you don't experience that or maybe you have like your family home that you still go to. And it's always a good feeling to go back to that home. Maybe it was the home that you were raised in where you can remember having home-cooked meals and good times or where family would gather together and you have this longing to be back in that place. 
to experience those experiences again with the, with the people that you love and that you, that you care for. And you have these fond memories and you want to continue to have them over and over and over again. And so you would say something kind of similar to the author, maybe not the temple, but you're saying, I, I long to be at home again, to feel what that feels like. Those nostalgic feelings maybe that you're feeling even as I say those things. These are the feelings that the author feels about worshiping his God in the temple. That he's been pushed away from. That he doesn't get to be at. And so before I get to an application here, I want, I want to point something out because I, I do think that this is important. And it's found in John chapter 4, verse 19 to 26. You can turn there if you want. I think it'll be on the screen if you just want to follow along. So I do want to point something out first. In John 4, verse 19 through 26, this is Jesus with the Samaritan woman. It says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now the reason that I bring out this passage is because we need to remember that when Jesus came and he said, I am he, Jesus would then go to the cross. Jesus would die for the sins of his people. Jesus would rise Again, but you remember when Jesus died on the cross, there were some crazy things that happened in this world. One of those being this. The temple that separated, or the veil that separated people from the Holy of Holies was torn in two. It was torn in two. And this was symbolizing the fact that what Jesus was talking about here with this Samaritan woman. We worship in spirit and truth. There's no longer a place that we must go to worship God to say, here is God. No, we, we don't do that. We can worship God here in this building. We can worship God outside. We, we can worship God all over the place because we worship him in, in spirit and truth. He is the mediator of a new covenant, and we trust in that. But that being said, God still has established for us the need to gather together and to worship him together corporately. I just talked about this a lot in Sunday school as we were teaching talk, Sunday school and talking about the disciplines. Being in church is something we are called to do. We are called to do that. Now, I've heard it said my whole life, and I believe it. This is a room. It's a big room. There's places for you to sit. When you walk in this room, there's nothing special about this room. I don't anoint this room every week. I'm not called to do that. There's not some special relic up here that say we say this houses the Spirit of God, and if you just come and touch it. You will really experience God in this place. No. But yet, this, this room is the room that God has given us as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church to gather together at least once a week. We say Sunday morning, but many of you might not know this. We also gather together most, most of the time on Sunday night. We don't tonight because of the holiday. We also do it on Sunday night. And we gather here to worship together. We gather in this room 
to observe Lord's Supper together. We gather in this room to observe baptisms that take place as God changes people's lives. We gather in this room to take up offering. We gather in this room each week to hear the word of God preached together. And we gather in this room right here to sing songs together that glorify God and magnify his name. And this is something we should long for. I told you, I just don't hear that much anymore. I don't hear it much from anybody about any church most of the time. We shouldn't do this and long for this because of nostalgia like we might for our home or maybe our mom's bread recipe or whatever it might be. We don't do it just for the sake of tradition. The fact is, we should long to be in this place worshiping together because this is the place that God has called you to worship with this people. And we should long to do that. And that's what the third thing is that he longs for. The author says, I long to be with God's people in worship. I mean, look at Psalm 42, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. How boring would that festival be if he was all by himself? All right, everybody, let's go to the house of the Lord. And he gets to the front steps. Let's sing. Nobody's there. That's, that's not what fills his mind, though, with the memory. What fills his mind with the memories is the throngs of people that would come to to worship together. And the author, it seems here, is longing to hear the voices of the people praise God and worship Him together in unison. <clears throat> to be doing this corporately. Together, the people would do the things that God had called them to do. And now the writer is apart from this. He's, he's separated from this and he's feeling it deep down in his soul. That something is missing and again, it's not that he can't know God where he's at. It's not that he can't worship God on his own where he's at. But he can't worship with the people of God in the house of God. There's something very special about the people of God coming together to worship God and worshiping him in the way that it's ordained for it to be him to be worshiped. See, here in our service, it may not seem over the top, our services might not seem extremely artistic or creative or words that I hear now from other ones or explosive or innovative or synergistic or I don't know all these words that people make up. That's not the goal of worship. What we want to do is be faithful to worship God well. And to be honest, I don't gather in here on Sunday morning. I don't want to hear Dave. I don't want to hear Sherry. I don't want to hear the instruments. I want to hear you singing with me, singing with Dave, singing with Sherry, singing along as the instruments help us sing corporately together. That's what we need. And when I can only hear Dave or I can only hear Sherry or I can only hear whoever it is up here leading in that, something's missing. I'm not here to hear them. I'm here to sing and to worship God together, but to do it faithfully, because this is what God's ask, God asks of us. Come together and worship me how I've asked you to do it. Now, you and I, 
both have to attest to this. We simply do not face the same struggle that this author faces. He is forced away from his, his place of worship and cannot get back. He longs to get back, but he cannot get back. You and I do not face that struggle. There's very few things that could keep us and just stop us from coming here. Right? I mean, it would have to be roads getting blown up or something. We have a way to get here. You say, oh, my car broke down. You probably could have called somebody and got here. You could have waved, at least according to the Lake Erie Transit commercials, and they'll take you anywhere. Just wave, and they show up. Okay? So often in our life, I just don't know if we long for this like this author does. Because our reasons for not being able to worship together is mostly just because of our own sin, our own selfishness, our own pride, our own schedules. I don't want to harp on this too long. But I mean, even today, if you look around, I'm not trying to cast judgment. There's not many people here, is there? What are they doing? I know we have in our system holidays and I'm all for families taking vacations. And if your work gives you Monday off, you can steal a day and that's great. And so again, I'm not casting stones, but I'm just saying this seems very easy for many of us to miss church or whatever. It is so common for me to hear, well, we spend time with family on Sundays. Well, we are your family. And we're supposed to gather together. We need to gather together. You need to gather with us in this place, worshiping God together. Because that's what God has called us to do. And the writer of this psalm says, my soul longs to be with God's people in worship. And we start to see some of the reason. Fourth thing here. His soul longs for peace from the troubles of this world. Look at verse, verses 6 and 7 of, of 42. He says, And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, Ron, and Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. This man, as he writes this psalm, he finds, his, his, he finds himself away from the house of God. He finds himself away from God's people. And he also finds himself in a situation where the struggles of this world just seem to be overflowing over him over and over again. It seems like in his life, no matter which way he turns, it's something else going wrong. It seems like he's in this dark tunnel and where we might say something like, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. He's crying out, not in this one. I don't see a light anywhere. Everywhere I turn is distress and struggle. The analogy given in this psalm is of drowning in the waves of life. And maybe you've felt that before in your own life. We looked at that with, Job, or with uh, Jonah as well in his prayer as he sinks down into the pit. And you have the seaweed wrapping around him. He's drowning. He just can't get out of it. Maybe you felt like that in your life too. Maybe you do right now. Everywhere you turn is another difficulty. Everywhere you look is another problem. And it seems as if life is just making you drown over and over and over again. And you, like this author, would say, I long for peace from the troubles of this world. 
Will the turmoil of this life ever come to an end? And if that isn't enough, his soul doesn't just long from the troubles of this world, but his soul longs for peace from the ungodly. Over and over again here in Psalm 42 and in Psalm 43, we hear people cry out to him. Look at, look at verse 3 of 42. Where is your God? Or in Psalm in 42, verses 9 to 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Or in 43, verse 1 and 2, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and the unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So if it's not enough, I mean, the final nail in the coffin of this guy's great distress, he finds himself away from the house of God. He finds himself away from the people he worships God with. He finds himself in a world just overthrowing him with problems and, and struggles. And if that isn't enough, the people of the world, the ungodly, those who do not understand the steadfast love of God, who do not understand the grace of God, what do they do? They continually hurl taunts and ridicule at him over and over and over again. They see him and they see God as losers. Look at you in this state of life. Oh, you pray. Oh, you read the Bible. Oh, you go to church. Look at your life. You're miserable. You have no money. Your house is falling apart. All your friends seem to have turned on you. Your family is in shambles. Where is your God now? You ever heard that? Have you ever heard that from the world? Where is your God in the midst of this storm? Where is your God in the midst of the chaos of this world? Where is your God when life seems to be ripped and torn apart? If God is so loving and kind, then where is he in all these situations? I have no doubt you've heard this. And I have no doubt that Satan has tempted you to believe this. Say, maybe they're right. Life is too difficult. Life is so hard. And if there was a God who loved me, it wouldn't be this hard. It wouldn't be this way. If there was a God who loved me, things would turn out so much better. See, Satan does a good job of helping us flow down the pit of despair. Sometimes it's a quick ride, like a, like a fast water slide into the pit, but sometimes it's a slow, steady meandering until we find ourselves into this state of despair and hurt to where we even begin to question, does God even love me? The same God that you know saved you by his grace. The same God that you know you can answer the questions has given you an inheritance that's forever eternal. The God who's going to make you Christ-like on the day that you see him. The God who's given you all these promises and blessings of salvation and hope and peace and joy. You know all these things, but yet you let Satan lie to you over and over again to hear the voices of the ungodly say, where 
where is your God at? I don't know about you, but that's a spot that I don't like being in, but at times I do find myself in it. Sometimes it happens in the morning when you get woke up before your alarm out of nowhere and you just start to think, what happened to you? And it seems like Satan does his best work at that moment. Who do you think you are? You're going to get up again this morning and drive to church to work. Do you think you're actually good enough to do that? Who are you to lead these people? Who are you to teach the Bible? Who are you? Maybe you've had that too. Early in the morning or late at night, you just feel so weak and alone. And that pit of despair seems to get deeper and deeper and deeper. So the answer is, what is the answer? What do we do in these moments? How do, we, how do we fight against Satan? I mean, we just talked about the armor of God and having the shield of faith and all these different things. What do we do? Well, I think we follow the lead of the psalmist. In 42, verse 5, in 42, verse 11, and in 43, verse 5, they all say the same thing. The psalmist preaches to himself, And in the midst of such hurt, such confusion, such despair, he asks himself a question. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Now, if you stop, it sounds like a dumb question. Because of everything that's going on, I have the right to be in turmoil. My life is bad right now. I'm away from everything. I am struggling. Yet the psalmist was wise enough and the grace of God on him enough to know how to answer the question correctly. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The only other verse in these two psalms that speak to the answer is verse 8 that is different than the other ones. Verse 8 says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. There was something special with Israel and God. I've said it a lot here. It's it's this hesed love. It's this this steadfast love that is a one-sided love. It's a love that God had for his people, that his people we're told to obey these commands and my love will be with you forever. But yet they constantly didn't obey his commands. But yet his steadfast love was constantly on them over and over and over again. And as the psalmist is away from God's people, away from God's temple, away from everything, suffering such defeat, hurting, what is the solution? The solution is for his soul to be satisfied in the fact that the steadfast love of the Lord remains on him no matter what situation he finds himself in because he's God's chosen. Not because of how great he is, not because of how special he is, but because he is God's. And God loves him. So the writer is saved from this by remembering who God is and what God has promised. There's no new strategy. There's no radio station For this writer to turn to. 
There's no motivational speaker for to, to come to him and to rouse his spirits. He's alone, all by himself. And the answer was knowing God according to his word. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. There's probably a ton of reasons why I'm in turmoil. But that doesn't matter. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Imagine Jesus reading this. Imagine Jesus singing this psalm. Imagine Jesus sharing this to, to in the synagogue, knowing that the salvation that they need is found in no other name than in himself. Looking at a people who are cast down, Jesus was amongst the Jews. They were completely cast down, held captive under Roman rule. He's looking at them, maybe talking about this psalm, knowing that the rest that the Israelites were seeking, the rest that the world was seeking from all of their struggles could only be found in him, could only be found in Jesus. And the same is true today. You can go to the spa, you can go on vacation, you can buy a lake house, you can have a big retirement plan, you can have a big family with all kinds of kids who like each other. You can do all sorts of things in this world, but I can promise you this, you will never find rest for your soul in the things of this world. It's not there because God has not planned or purposed it to be in those things. There is only one thing that your soul can find rest in. It's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus would stand before a people. and He would say, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can keep trying to strive in this world. You can keep attempting to find peace for your soul or family, in family dinners, in vacations, and whatever it may be that you try to find your rest in. Maybe it's a hobby. I don't know. But I can guarantee you that will not work. The only hope that we have for our souls is the hope that is given to us in the precious blood of Jesus. And if you're a Christian this morning, I, I hope that you understand that. I hope that you know that. I would encourage you to, to fight against Satan as he tries to tell you differently. It's a battle that we face all the time. But answer it, just like the psalmist said. Why, why am I in such turmoil? Why am I in such distress? Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord and who he is. Remind yourself of that. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, remind your church members in that. As you guys live your life together outside of these walls, some of you work together, some of you hang out together, whatever it might be, you share struggles together, remind each other of this truth. Remember, our hope is in the Lord. It's not in how strong our bodies are or how successful we are in this world. Our hope is in what he has done for us in Christ and in him alone. Let's take our strength from that. Let's keep our hope in that. 
And if you're here this morning, we read Romans chapter 10. I had us read, the, read that on purpose. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, it says. That's for those of you this morning, you've been striving in this world over and over and over again, and you've never put your hope in the Lord. You can't say, my hope is in the Lord, because it's not. Today it can be. It can be. If by grace through faith, you will believe. It says, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That could be you this morning. Forgiven of your sins. Saved from death, from hell, from the grave. To be able to live eternally with Jesus. And to understand what it means to take his yoke upon yourself. And understand that it is light. That it's actually refreshing. That it is the only place where true freedom can be found. So I hope this morning you'll respond to the word of God. I hope you'll respond like the psalmist does wherever you find yourself this morning. So let's bow together and pray, and then we're going to sing one last song. And that song is an opportunity for you to respond to the word of God. Maybe you want to talk with me. I'm always up here. You can do that. Maybe you just need to pray where you're at. I don't know. But I trust that you'll respond to the word of God how you should. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for these psalms that we have. God, I thank you for Jesus, who these psalms point to. God, I ask that you would forgive us as your children, how we oftentimes don't answer the question how the psalmist did. We struggle to get to that point to say our hope is in the Lord, but we seek out other avenues and venues. And God, there just isn't any hope in those things. And so God, I pray that we'd be faithful to the things you've called us to. Help us like the psalmist to thirst for you. Help us to long to be in your house. Help us to long to be with the people you've gathered us together with to be called the church. To hear your word preached together, to study it together, to sing songs together, to praise you together. God, for some of us, maybe that has started to slide out of our life and vanish. God, I pray that you would help us to get back to that. Help us to be unified in Christ together, knowing that this world is going to weigh us down. But together, you've given us together to fellowship together, to love each other, to pull each other up, to remind each other who we are in Christ and what you've done for us. And so, God, I pray that this psalm would be an encouragement, a reminder of what our hope is. Help us to repent of those other things that we've staked some claim in to find some peace and some hope. Help us to get rid of the idols in our life that we've set up, that sometimes we bow to. Help us to get back to worshiping you and only you in our life, because that is where freedom, hope, peace, and joy is truly found. So God, as we sing this last song to you now, help us to worship you. God, again, help us to respond to your word. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe some of us need to repent of some sin. Or whatever it might be, God, I just pray that we would do what you call us to do during this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.